I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. The power of building that network and reaching out and saying, I need help with this, was really, really important. And I grew a lot as a leader by learning the power of being a bit vulnerable and asking for help and building my network. Cindy Doe is an executive with a large firm, EY, and specializes in consulting with companies around managing risk. And the two biggest risks to businesses, she claims, are cybersecurity and people, the turnover of employees. The title of this podcast is Growth and Comfort Cannot Exist Together, which says it all about this discussion. We talk about how she left her company and was delighted when she returned to learn the company was taking deliberate steps to make sure women were supported in their careers. We talk about how important face-to-face meetings are and how limiting it can be to communicate with people virtually or through chat and email. The topics of imposter syndrome, building a good team with complementary skills, and asking for help are all important in our careers. Listen into this great discussion with Cindy Doe of EY. Today, my guest on Leading She is Cynthia Doe. Cindy Doe. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you. Very excited to be here with you, Susan. Yeah, I'm excited too to dive in. Cindy Doe is a partner principal at EY and is a seasoned forward-thinking risk management executive and strategist with substantial operating experience. A respected and sought-after thought leader, she specializes in the development and execution of innovative technology-enabled internal controls and enterprise-wide risk management programs, including the deployment of cybersecurity risk management strategies at global banks and asset management organizations. An analytical problem solver, Cindy has led her clients through major operating model changes. These changes have involved the integration of streamlined risk management practices focused on systems, analytics, and the assignment of accountability metrics. These lead to significant and measurable risk mitigation outcomes and efficiencies. Many assignments have involved close collaboration with executive leadership and corporate boards. Cindy led the consulting group's pivot to a COVID-19 response, including the development and successful execution of an industry-first global enterprise resiliency framework in response to various complex scenarios, including epidemics. She co-led the design, development, and market activation of EY's risk platform strategy targeted to the financial services industry. Cindy grew America's consulting risk practice comprised of 8,000 associates by 7.1%, generating $2 billion in annual revenues. And she led a 550-person, $150 million consulting practice. She has a BS in finance from Boston College, Carroll School of Management, EY Executive Leadership Program, uh, Harvard Business School, executive sponsor of EY's participation in Girls Who Code. She is a C200 member, which a lot of my guests are. She is a woman business collaborative advisory council member. So it's a very impressive career you've had, Cindy. So welcome again. Thank you. Um, sometimes when I hear somebody else read it, it's like it, it sounds different than it does in my head. So thank you for that. That's me. I did that. <laughs> You're welcome. You um, you focus on risk management, and um, mm-hmm. I ran a company, so I I know about risk and what we do, and and it's really for listeners that don't understand risk management, it's really for businesses that are trying to prevent, I guess, bad things from happening, anticipating things happening. And you do that around financial services 
industries, companies like banks. So talk about, talk about what you do. Sure. So, um, so when you talk about risk management, it's a pretty broad topic. Um, my background and my experience has largely been, it really started around technology. Um, I wouldn't say I went out and sought it, but, um, it found me, um, and I've really specialized in the management of risk in technology, which over the years evolved from just technology, uh, to the topic of information security, which many people now refer to that as cybersecurity. Interestingly, along the way, it also took shape and form into topics about resiliency. So back in the day, disaster recovery, business continuity planning. But really, if you look at where the world is today, particularly with the advent of cyber events that have been happening really over the past 10 years plus, this topic of resiliency and thinking about the world beyond physical disasters into more digital disasters has really required um, a broader way of thinking about how institutions protect themselves um, or at least mitigate when something does happen to as quickly as you can respond and recover. So it's a very interesting space I I sit in. Um, As you mentioned, I do focus in primarily in banking. I have done a fair amount of work in the investment management space. Um, And with that, you know, I spend a lot of time, both of those types of institutions are, you know, heavily regulated. So there's, you know, the, the considerations about protecting against the bad things that could happen, or as I like to refer to it, the downside risk, but there's also opportunities around what I would call the upside of risk where the right kind of risk thinking can help you in shaping the right decision. So do you actually go with a third party vendor or not? If in your diligence, you've identified potential risks that just are beyond your appetite, you just don't want to go there. So before you even find yourself in that risk position, you can change path, which to me is an upside of risk. Right. So it's an interesting balance I'm seeing. Yeah. What what do you think the biggest risks to businesses are right now? So it's a really good question. Um, when I think about the biggest risks to our businesses, I think there's a few ones that come top to mind. Uh, and I'm going to talk more from an operational risk standpoint. There certainly are lots of things going on in the market today, credit risk, things going on with the whole world of digital assets and things. But if we think about from a non-financial risk perspective, um, I still think that cybersecurity is a big risk. I, I don't think that's going away. Regardless of the sector that you work in, cybersecurity continues to be a risk area that executives and board members often talk about. So the other ones I would think about are people. So we've seen over the past two plus years, starting with the pandemic, um, the you know the turnover that we've seen in people and the way that people want to work, how they work, um, how they think about connectivity to the company, and as a company thinking about many times, especially in the sectors I play in, your people are often one of your biggest assets, mm-hmm. and how do you 
attract, retain, and effectively manage the knowledge of those individuals Mm -hmm. to sustain your business. Because as we've all seen in our career, sometimes there's that really key person that leaves for whatever reason, and it leaves a massive hole. So that to me is a big risk area. You know, other things, just the broader world, I mean, you can't open up a newspaper without something on geopolitical. Mm-hmm. Those things are concerning. Right. Um, you know, and I think there's just a lot going on with, I would say, the velocity of change and risk. Yeah. Let me ask you about the people part. Um, sure. I guess what I see is, after, especially after COVID, we see sort of like, okay, how often do you need to be in the office? It's a 45 minute commute. You know, do are you in there a day a week, a couple days a month? And companies, I think sometimes want their people to be in there as much as possible. And, and people I think have become accustomed to, I can work better at home. I'm more productive. So what do you see there as far as risk? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think there is, it, I think all these topics and how companies address them tie back into that people risk point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, though, I think there's a softer side of this that if we think about career progression, um, what I would like to say is kind of the, um, the mentorship, the apprenticeship that we've all gone through coming up through our career. I think there often are times where there's no substitution for being in person with your team. Right. I've tried to use all the different collaboration tools, whiteboards. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. I traveled to see one of my teams a few weeks ago and we sat in a room together with a virtual whiteboard, but I had yeah. a whiteboard behind me and you know, it was people from like somebody right out of school to somebody with seven or eight years, the ability to impart information, dialogue, see when somebody's really puzzled by their body language, yeah. not just their typing or verbal yeah. responses, right. I found to be very powerful. Does that have to happen every day? No, in yeah. my view. Yeah. Now, other people might feel differently. So this is Cindy Doe's view. Right. Um, but I think there is a healthy balance there. And I think, mm-hmm. again, striking that for the culture of your organization, the nature of the work that you're doing, I think is really important. And again, managing what this means in terms of attrition and people risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cyber risk. Let's spend a minute talking about that. Sure. Um, I know when I worked at my company, there was all kinds of training around, you know, don't click on this. If you Mm -hmm. see this, don't do that. And I'm telling you, you know this, but these cyber criminals have become really expert at tricking you into clicking on things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the IT part department has to keep up with, you know, all of these possible things and then educating people that may not be used to seeing some of these tricks. So that seems to me like one of the biggest risks one little click you know, yeah. especially of a bank, you know, could, could really hurt the company. And you and I talked about this, mm-hmm. you know, everything's going fine in the morning, but then something happens, a cyber event, right? Uh, right. So talk about that risk. Yeah, no, it's a very, and it's probably one of the reasons I, I spent the time in it I have is it's just a fascinating multi-layered topic, right? Um, 
you know, sometimes somebody will say cyber to me. I'm like, well, that's like saying the ocean. So yes. <laughs> let's okay. talk about what we mean here. But to me, I think there's some fundamentals that everyone needs to understand. I would call it like the basic hygiene of cyber. Mm. To your point, um, a human in the middle of this has emotions, can have a bad day, may not always be thinking. Yeah. And when something comes into their inbox, depending on their attention level, um, they may click. Right. Right. Yeah. And not because they're a bad person or trying to do something, but they may not always connect the dots. So reinforcing in training. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've seen clients do testing where they'll send out, you know, that test link to see if people click on it, mm -hmm. taking them yeah. to a training program yeah, we have saying, that. Right. Um, I think those things are good reinforcers, but the human element can't be understated. But there's good things about like having good password hygiene, making sure you understand who has access yeah. to your system, to your data. Are you looking at who who those people are? Are you checking periodically that the access makes sense? Have you thought about changes in your organization or your business that would cause you to revisit that? And then also making sure that if something does go wrong, you've got a good plan for what mm -hmm. you're going to do. So how do you respond to an incident? Not right. just the technical part of it, but how do you communicate? Mm -hmm. So how do you bring in the board? How do you think about bringing in external parties to support you? Because mm -hmm. there's a technical piece, potentially a financial piece. There's a legal piece. So having the right people yeah. on call to support you to handle that is good. Yeah. Really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, you and I have been at this for a while. We've had long careers, right? We weren't talking about this stuff 20, 25 years ago, right? No, we weren't. A lot of paper shuffling or fax machines, you know, <laughs> it's a whole new world, uh, but here we, here we are adapting to it. You have a, you had a business within a business at EY. And I think this is always fascinating among my guests where they look, they work for large companies, but then they have a profit and loss division that they're responsible for. So essentially they're not taking the financial risks so much with that company because they're not an entrepreneur, but they're running a company within a large concern, mm -hmm. uh, EY. Yeah. You uh, do consulting work right now, I understand, uh, yet during your career with EY, you grew a business from 150 people to 550 people. Revenue growth from 50 million to 150 million. So, I think our listeners would be interested in in that. And what were your biggest learnings from that endeavor? Oh, that that was one of my favorite roles at the firm. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely was one of those uh, growth and discomfort or growth and comfort can't exist together. It definitely took me outside of my comfort zone, but there were definitely some things I learned there. One was the power of picking good people around you oh. and people that complement you in spaces that either you're strong in and you need more or where you know that isn't something that I excel at or something that I've got a lot of experience with. So putting the right people into your core leadership team that complement you and complement each other. Mm. I think that's really critical. 
Mm-hmm. I think the other things I learned about was what I would call making sure not only I have a network with my clients, but I have a network within my organization that I can go to because no one knows at all stepping into a role. I think sometimes, particularly at younger points in my career, I assumed that I have this title, so I must have to know it all. And what I really found out was the power of building that network and reaching out and saying, I need help with this. You know this. How can you help me? I'll help you over here was really, really important. And Mm -hmm. I grew a lot as a leader by learning the power of being a bit vulnerable and asking for help and building my network to help make sure that you know, there are things that I might have white space in my thinking. I might not be aware of where we, there could be synergies between our activities and businesses right. and really challenging myself there. Yeah, I love it. A uh, couple of just takeaways I, I have from that. Uh, one is what you started with, which was, and I think this is important for entrepreneurs, is to not pick a bunch of people that have the same skill set you do mm-hmm. and um, and make sure that the skills that you're bringing in are complementary to yours and to the others there. So you've got a good team of people that here is, here are his gifts and strengths. Here are her gifts and strengths. And as a team, we will accomplish this. And I think that's really important. You know, we talk about networking and it's an overused word outside the company, of course, with clients, as you say, but networking inside the company so that you have people that care about, you and they care about you accomplishing your goals, you haven't alienated them in any way. And you're, it sounds like you're kind of negotiating with them. In other words, you're saying, Hey, I'll help you if you can help me here. And you're subordinating your ego to, Hey, I need help. I'm being vulnerable here. Right. Yep. And a lot of times I would also think about not just me, but the team. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, I always saw my role as being, um, a steward of the organization, really thinking about the team and the legacy behind me mm. versus necessarily me. And I know that's not always easy to do, no, but not. I always tried to take actions that I thought were in the best, um, the best outcomes for the team, define team how you want to. But yeah. in that case, it was my practice. Impressive growth by people, by revenue, by any measure. So congratulations on that Thank success. Thank you. And I'm sure not have done it by myself though. It was definitely a team effort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it appears that, um, EY is really on the cutting edge of uh, pushing equality for women have a program called women fast forward, uh, which is as your website says a global platform that engages your people, your clients, and your communities to advance gender equality. And there's a quote on the website that says at EY we're, uh, at EY, we're creating an inclusive culture to enable women's potential to truly transform society and build a better world, a better working world. Um, and this is something else I love on here, and I, I'll ask you to answer this question. It's a very profound question, which is, women make up half the world's population. How can we all ensure that they are included in every conversation, decision, and solution to get to new and better answers. And I'm getting chills here. Uh, that's a great question. Um, what do you think the answer is? 
<laughs> I think if there was an easy answer, we probably would have already fixed it. Yeah. I can tell you my journey yeah. and my experience. Um, and probably one of the reasons I'm still with EY. Um, yeah, I would say when I first joined the firm, I think there were one or two women partners mm. in the Boston office. And for my own journey, I just, in the, and as I became a manager and a more senior manager, right before I became a senior manager, there started to be this push around investing in women. Mm. But I didn't see enough of it for myself. Mm. And I was actually working with a client that had plenty of women in senior roles, and I felt inspired. And I said, I don't know if I want to be a partner anyway. So I moved. Now, fast forward four years, I came back to the firm. Okay. And in those four years, definitely things changed. The soul of the company is still the same. And one of the reasons I stay, the culture here is very special. It's a family okay. in many ways. But what I saw was this very targeted focus um, on women, and it certainly broadened across a number of different ways you can think about diversity in every sense. Mm -hmm. But from a female sense, you know, I really felt like there was a great structure to provide me with me mentorship. And the mentorship was formal as well as informal. And I would tell you, in my own experience, the informal was just as powerful, if not more so, because mm -hmm. that's where I found my sponsorship. Okay. Which is, you know, depending on who you talk to, for me, that was the partner or partners that spoke up in the rooms I was not in right. that gave me the opportunities to move forward. Yep. So I've seen a lot of that. I've been the beneficiary of being involved in the different programs we have, like our professional women's network. During the pandemic, I had a wonderful group of women leaders that we met every week. And sometimes it was just to support each other because it could be family things going on, or how do I work in this completely virtual world? And I've got five different types of comps platforms I'm trying to learn and master. But what I'm trying to get to is like, there's the formal and informal things that we've made investments in that I think are making a difference. Yeah, I also see a lot of mentorship of junior women, and I try to do this, whether formally or informally. I actually this morning just spoke with one of our folks that's a staff too, in our Washington D.C. office that I've been mentoring since she joined the firm. Yeah, and I just think it's those kind of things, and there are more of us with different backgrounds, different families, what have you. Mm -hmm. It gives people a role model that they can then see. Yeah, no, I like it. And we have to take the time to mentor these young women. That's what this podcast is about, is to give back to women your stories, you know, your experience with this. And it sounded like, uh, if I read between the lines here, maybe when you left EY and, and went somewhere else and then came back, that uh, perhaps EY was saying, hey, we support women, we do this, we do that, and and maybe the results were not the same as this other this client you saw, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, let's do what we're saying. Let's, let's yeah. I'm going to come back I, and we're going to do this. I would say that we have definitely taken a lot of deliberate steps there. Um, 
you know, we've been involved in, you know, really looking at our pipeline of talent coming up through the firm, you know, those critical manager, senior manager years, really looking at how do we make sure that we're giving, I'm going to talk about women for this podcast, but Mm -hmm. women opportunities on high profile accounts, challenging assignments to demonstrate their readiness to be considered to be a partner or a managing director, or even for roles that are leadership roles, whether that's a regional role, a market role, a coordinating partner role. There's a lot more eyes asking those questions, particularly Mm -hmm. if we see what we call a slate of candidates that is very one-dimensional. Yes. Right. Yeah. So there's a, that is an act of dialogue that I think, you know, probably 15 years ago yeah. was not, but it is definitely an act of dialogue and it's something that makes me feel good about where I work. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a great place to work. Well, Cindy, I'm going to take you to the uh, leading she type questions and um, looking forward to how you're answering these. And every woman, every guest of mine has her story. And um, I think it's, it's really good for listeners, young women, perhaps uh, that are on the career track to hear some of these things. So you have said uh, that you had a husband who chose at some point to stay at home and not not work in his career. And then you also said you got a nanny. So t- talk about that. <laughs> um, so I, this might be a little bit longer answer, but when I was pregnant with my first, my husband and I were recently married and we decided one of us should stay home at least until our youngest or our, our baby, baby one at that point um, was at a point where we felt comfortable maybe looking at daycare or something mm-hmm. like that. And my husband was working at a company that was looking like it might not do so well in the future. I was doing well at EY and we said, okay, I will stay at work. You stay home. And 25 years later, um, we didn't end up putting our daughter in daycare. He stayed home. We pulled the belt tight many, many a year Mm -hmm. to make ends work. Um, but I think it's one of the best decisions I took. Hmm. Now you're probably wondering about the nanny. Yeah. And, why um, is it the best decision? Oh, uh, the best decision that I took for having him stay home. He is a very patient human being, <laughs> but you know, I think with every relationship, there's a give and a take a yin and a yang. He is the, he is the type B to my type A. Yes. That's my And husband. I, I love him for that. And yeah. I'm so grateful for yeah. him because no matter what I've done in my job, he has been a thousand percent behind me. There's yeah. never been, if I have to pack up at night and leave at 5am the next morning, he just rolls with it. You so, yeah. and I think because we made that choice, that's made it work. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Cause that's the way my husband was. He, he worked, we both worked and we had to split a lot of things up. But I said, I've said on this podcast before he did more than 50% of what had to be done. And I would say when I talk about work, I'm talking about work that we do that's outside the office. Yes, there's work He works incredibly hard and yeah. he does not get a true vacation from his work Yeah, because with our kids right up until they've all gone to college, they were with him 24 by seven. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I give him a lot of credit for that. And so starting to talk about the nanny, the nanny. So, yeah. um, so I have three wonderful children. Um, 
My oldest is 25. She's in grad school in Washington, D.C. My middle child, um, they're transgender. Very proud of them. They are now uh, identifying as a male, and we've filled out all the paperwork and going through all the process to officially change their name. Mm-hmm. And then my youngest son is an undergrad in D.C., same school as my oldest. I'm sorry, my middle one is actually going to school um, in New York City for a fine arts degree. So you're probably wondering what this has to do with the nanny. I, I yes. bring this up because my middle child, when we moved as part of my career from New Jersey to Boston, mm-hmm. my middle child really suffered. And it, it could have been happening anyway. But something about that 12, 13, 14-year-old period of their life was really tough. And we dealt with incredibly challenging things as a parent. And Mm. this was all going on while I was growing that practice from the 50 to 150. So the power of the team, so to speak. But we were dealing with a lot of issues with depression Mm self-harm to the point where we actually had to move them to a school in Utah. Wow. And while going through all this, my little guy, who's just the sweetest person ever, he was in, yeah, my 19 year old, he was shuttling between hospitals, doctor offices, and he wasn't getting the time to do homework Mm -hmm. and it was creating a real problem. Yeah. So I finally said, forget it. We're getting a nanny. (laughs) And I call her and I would say this to anybody. She is the wife I never had. Um, She's wonderful. She did laundry. She was Mm -hmm. so patient with my son to make sure he got his homework done. And he went from one of those kids that struggled in school to when he was um, when he was in high school, he was in all the AP classes. He had super strong GPA. He did well on the SATs. He's in a great school and a great program. And he attributes a lot to the nanny that we took on board. Okay. Yeah. So this is your youngest, right? My youngest. Yeah. And then your middle child, Sam, uh, yep. was born a female. Correct. And uh, so when you refer to her, him, you say they. I do for a period of time. So this all started to unfold right before the pandemic, but really during the pandemic, they came to us and said, I, I, I don't think, I think I'm non-binary. I okay. don't think I identify as female. Okay. And they wanted to, at the time, they said, I'm going to be a they. I still struggle with the he. I'm still working on that. I really am trying. Um, but it was hard. Mm-hmm. And even when I think the word they, I think plural. Yes. But it's very important to them. So okay. I would learn to catch myself. I still do. Mm-hmm. Um, to be very thoughtful and to honor their choices. Because, you know, I think about all the things we go through, I can't imagine what it's like to feel that you're not what your name would say you are yeah, or what your birth certificate is. You know, it just, it, I can't, I'm so proud of them, how mm. strong they are mm. to do that. And it's, yeah. it's not easy. It's not easy in many different dimensions, no. but I, I think about that when I'm having a tough day at work and say child's play compared to that. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult for 
them, I'll say them because you, you want to refer to your, uh, Sam as them. And, uh, I want to honor that as well. Um, very hard, uh, because I feel like transgender people, someone that's born in a different gender, um, that, that they don't feel they can identify with is really torture. It's gotta be really torture, uh, yeah. especially with our society that is, that is still way behind on accepting. Like I said, I'm incredibly proud. I really am amazed with what they've been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're an incredibly gifted artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I was joking with somebody this morning. I do stick figures. My kids actually, my Sam can actually do stuff that, you know, people buy. Um, so it's, it's just, um, it, it's hard, but I'm incredibly proud of them Yeah, and would do husband, anything to uh, help them. It's been supportive as well as, as you have. I mean, right. Your husband's supportive as well. My husband is, um, probably Sam's biggest cheerleader. Mm. Um, just Sam is I, lucky I, to have you and your uh, husband. Yes, they are. And their siblings are all Sam's siblings. So our oldest Maddie and our youngest Brady are mm-hmm. they uh, I am so lucky. They are so well suited to each other and they really like each other. Yeah. We're going on vacation next week together. So they're yeah. that close. Yeah. Well, it's really, it's really um, a great story and I love hearing the support. It's got to be difficult as a as a parent, but it is a mother, you see the struggle and you just want everything to be okay for them. And there will be things that come up. And so, you know, that's really wonderful on you. I'm, I'm just so getting goosebumps again, how, how wonderful it is that, that, uh, Sam is supported in the way and in, in the way they are. I've had the experience of, uh, we talked about this, of what is expected of women and how they behave in different geographic locations. And, uh, you and I have had that experience. Uh, what, uh, might be acceptable in the Northeastern United States may not be acceptable in the South. And uh, I would love to hear you talk about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, in the world of client service, um, many times what I focus on when I'm working on a project with a client is to try to understand their culture because mm-hmm. It, it can be very helpful in trying to identify and navigate questions or issues that arise. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a period in my life where I was jetting between two very different cultures mm-hmm. and it was, it was hard to keep track of both. And I'd often have to check myself um, <laughs> because in one environment, you know, there was really, it was very hard charging between the eyes. That was the culture and people were expressive in, shall we say many ways with all kinds of vocabulary. Um, and then, you know, my other client was very proper, very disciplined, very business oriented, very kind of thoughtful of etiquette and things of those natures Mm -hmm. and going between those two cultures. Um, I would often have to check myself (laughs) to make sure I had on my hat for that place versus (laughs) the other place. Yes. And I remember I was in one meeting once and I, I must've had, it must've been a stressful day. Yeah. And I accidentally slipped for less than a minute (laughs) and I quickly corrected myself and I never forgot it. 
Um, but I do think that, you know, for anybody that goes in sales or consulting, you know, learning to read those cultural norms and figuring yeah. out the language of the company, yeah. um, is really important, but yes, <laughs> I, I agree. I have a story. I don't know if I told you about this when we talked earlier, but, uh, from the nineties, in which uh, I was uh, going to a client conference in the South. And my mode for a while in my career was to kind of be one of the guys. And for me, one of the guys meant, um, you know, uh, and this is back in the 90s when maybe it was more accepted is to, you know, use language that maybe isn't considered ladylike in the South. And I was smoking a cigar and having a stiff drink. And um, I was in the South and uh, was one of the only women at this client conference. And, you know, it backfired on me, you know, it backfired on me. I lost this client and uh, I'm not, I didn't really know that this was going on, but they were talking about me the next day. And mm. if it was a man, they would not have been talking about me, uh, but it was in the South and smoking a cigar and drinking and using, you know, language that shouldn't be used by a lady wasn't accepted to the point yeah. where they didn't work with me after that. So yeah, learned the hard way. Yeah. I, I understand. It's yeah. this kind of cultural understandings that yeah. Sometimes that's half the battle. Yeah. Um, you and I talked about this. Many of uh, women executives, many of my guests, and I did, uh, suffer sometimes from imposter syndrome. And uh, you and I talked about that, um, yeah. that you've, you've had it. And uh, how has that played out in your career and how have you dealt with it? Um. You know, it's one of those things that I read about. I remember the first time I read about it, this probably was six, seven years ago. I was like, oh, I've had that. I might be having it right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it is for, I don't, I don't want to paint a brush and say this happens for everybody because I don't think that's entirely true either. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly had a number of men I've worked with that have it. And I said, I can tell you've got this because I've had it and I have it and you have it. And yeah. they didn't even connect the dots. They did. Um, but I would tell you that going back to my network, having strong allies and friends that you trust and you can talk to and they can help you just like when you're reading my bio, say, come on, why, it, you're a business person, Cindy. Why would you, if you were making a choice and you're putting somebody to into a role to do something, would you do that just because they were nice? You do that based off, they have this credential, this experience, they've done this, they've proven that. And you'd make the decisions on that, yeah. not on anything that's going through your head. I remember I used to have a quote in my desk that was from, I think Winnie the Pooh or something that was like, you're strong enough, you're smart enough. And right. you know, all that kind of stuff that I would sometimes take out before a meeting. Going, That's right. I wouldn't be in this chair if I didn't have the requisite skills. And right. I, that's a constant thing I have to do. I'm also mindful to do it for others mm -hmm. because I think we have to support each other and point out the facts yeah. versus kind of the internal talk right. that can make you not think the facts. 
Yeah, I think it's about self-esteem and confidence and women can struggle with that. I struggled with it and really uh, getting, when I read my bio, I'm like, wow, I did Mm -hmm. do a lot. I did accomplish a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. but then it's like, almost like when you say imposter, it's like, it almost seems like I'm reading about someone else. And I think women can come in with a lower self-esteem, a lack of confidence, and then that's reinforced by some of the some of the experiences we have and behaviors of, yes. of people that we're with. And you know what I'm talking about. You get in a I meeting do. and nobody makes eye contact with you. Nobody gives you credit for your ideas. And now your lower self-esteem, your confidence is even shattered more. So it's like, yeah. you know, do I really belong here? Right. And I, I think sometimes we'll pick up on cues. Yes. Um, that may not even be the cue. We're interpreting that cue to be something that it may not even be. Right. Um, you know, where you might interpret that this person was given more time to speak in the meeting than you were as some sort of way of reinforcing some self doubt versus looking at and saying, well, if you really looked at this just intellectually and took yourself out of it and put a player B in there, the same thing would have happened, but -hmm. it's hard to do that in the moment. And if you're suffering from these feelings, you can look for any of those indicators and go, oh, see, support it. There yeah, you go. Support your own. Yep. I would tell women, you know, know that you belong there. You belong there. You belong to having a seat at the table and uh, own your experience. And uh, as much as you can, surround yourself by good sponsors, as you've mentioned, a yes. supportive spouse and friends. And then don't listen to the people that aren't supporting you, you know, and just own it, get in there and do just work your butt off and, and be as good as you can be, but, you know, know you belong and really just, um, just own it. Right. Yeah. I I would say that, um, maybe one thing I'd add to that, I did take Mm -hmm. a class that the firm sponsored me to go to that focused on the power of positivity and to lean into your strengths because at a certain point in your career, um, for example, I'm probably never going to be an actuary, (laughs) (laughs) right? And and I'm okay with that, but I use that as an example to say, there's, there's a certain point in my career where I'm not going to be an actuary, right? right? I have to lean on my strengths and focus on those. And it was really interesting about thinking that way versus thinking about the, what I don't have. Like I'm not an actuary to really lean on those strengths. Cause I think that focus on positivity can help mm-hmm. you more focus on what you're good at and your belief in yourself. Yeah. And I think it takes a while to get there. It took me a while to figure out what I'm good at, what I like, but really what I'm not good at, you know, to figure out what I am good at. And there mm-hmm. are always going to be people that are better than me at making sure every little detail is in order. Every little spreadsheet is in perfect order. I'm mm-hmm. on to doing 30,000 feet stuff and like, let's do it a new way. Yeah. That's my superpower, you know, mm-hmm. and I learned it later in my career than I wish I had, you know? Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, it's something actually this young woman I was speaking to this morning, I said to her that, you know, you need to make sure you're thinking about how you're growing your superpower. Yeah. Superpower. Yeah, exactly. And the words and the other thing I sh- shared with her was the words you use to describe that. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the power of words is so important. Right. And I see myself included um, use words that can sometimes detract from that superpower. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, we can be our own worst enemies in criticizing ourselves when we should be, you know, the biggest supporter of our own success. Absolutely. A couple more questions as we wrap up. This has been great. Um, I wore heels for years and you and I talked about wearing heels. (laughs) I'm done wearing heels, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, I am retired from my career, but I think probably five years ago, I realized that an inch and a half heel is, is about as high as I'll go. But I do see these young women still wearing heels. Uh, I don't want to be short. I am short. Uh, what would you say about (laughs) your experience in wearing heels? Oh my goodness. I, when I was early on in my career, I remember when I was first working at the firm in the Boston office, I had those three inch heels and I could run in those. Literally I could run in those. Um, but three children later, many, many years later, um, you know, I, I don't wear high heels anymore. I still have a pair I wore right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And I keep them in my closet. I pull them out and look at them occasionally, maybe slip them on to walk down the hallway. But the reality is I wear something that's got, if I am going to wear a bit of a heel, it's got a stack to it yeah. or it's a platform, much more comfortable. Yeah. You know, I think learning, dressing appropriately for the occasion is important. And if that yeah. means a bit of a heel, that's fine. Um, I'm comfortable with that. I'm yeah. not, I, I want to look put together. But I'm not looking to necessarily have to wear a heel because someone told me that's what I had to wear. Right, right. Yeah, these young women wear them and they're beautiful. Oh, you know? My and daughter they, does too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they walk so fast in them. Oh, yeah. She, she can. I could run in them at one point, but not anymore. I definitely end up in the hospital no. with a broken leg. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of, kind of cute. We could both go there uh, and our listeners should be able to identify. What do you think companies need to know, whether it's EY or the clients you have that maybe they don't know about women who are ambitious and want to advance their careers? You know, and I guess a follow-up question would be, what would you like to see for your kids along those lines? Great question. (laughs) So, Things I think companies should think about broadly, uh, I think that we should really be looking at how do we help identify and nurture talent, Mm -hmm. not just through formal mechanisms, but creating a culture of sponsorship and investment Mm -hmm. in our young professionals. Yeah. And in this context i'm talking about women but there are many other contexts you can talk uh, about sort of uh, other other areas you know race race gender gender trans um sexual um, orientation all those things so but for this conversation women and like i said i think i've benefited so much from informal mentoring it's not sitting on some shelf someplace or some spreadsheet that I'm mentoring Mm -hmm. this person, but it's about those informal things that get done that people can feel comfortable opening up and talk about their ambitions and can get some guidance. Cause this morning I was, I was having this conversation. I said, these are things you should be asking and it's okay. And if you can do it in person, it's even better because over a cup of coffee, you're going to get a lot more insight than you will over chat or email. Yes. So yeah. I think it's so important to do that. I would also say, you know, and I, I think it's much better than it used to be, but we shouldn't make 
we shouldn't make a decision based off of where somebody is in their life, their age. I'm not talking about experience. I'm talking and capabilities. I'm talking age, mm-hmm. um, you know, where they are in their life in terms of family, parents, kids, mm. you know, sometimes I think, and with all the best intentions, we may in an unbiased way or what do they call it? So unconsciously do this. And I think we should always give people the opportunity if they can't for whatever reason that moment in their life that's okay too Mm -hmm. but i think we should make sure that we're thinking broadly and not selecting things off people's plates Mm -hmm. um it's so much better now than it was (laughs) i think that's really important and when i think about for my kids um I truly hope they each get in whatever profession they end up in um, is somebody or somebody's that takes an interest in them, informal mentor, formal mentor. It really helps to guide them, understanding mm-hmm. the culture where they work, yeah. what's important, what do you not have to worry as much about. Uh, there's so much of that that in addition to have the technical knowledge and the capability, that informal understanding the organization and how it works and how to navigate, mm-hmm. which are good skills, no matter what company or industry you live in mm-hmm. or work in, I think is so important. I really hope they get that. I hope they work for a place that gives them the opportunities I've been given and whatever their field is that they end mm-hmm. up doing. Um, and, you know, that they get a chance to be themselves. Yeah. Well, they can always call their mother for some advice around those things, right? You know, it's funny. As I get older, all of a sudden, I'm a little bit wiser than I was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Go they figure. Older and you're even more wise. I have found that. Like, wow, well, mom, you might know a thing or two on this one. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, I don't uh, give uh, advice unless I'm asked for it. So, <laughs> but sometimes wise. they do realize wise. Yep, mm-hmm. I won't say the same thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. here's what I would say. Yeah. Cindy, it's been great. Uh, loved getting to know you. I respect you. I just, I can tell you're a great person and a great manager and have had a, you're very vulnerable in your career and, and talking about things that aren't easy to talk about. And, um, I think it's going, our listeners are going to love it. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it. Follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.